which is part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Well, it's good to see you this morning. We've been in a series now for uh, eight weeks, and uh, we're coming to the end of that today. And Brittany's going to come and share a testimony that really ties into the latter part of last week and uh, this week. Uh, we began in this series uh, to talk about all these things about Christ and how John the Baptist in John 3.30 came in and said, you know, I, I want more of him and, and less of me. He must increase and I must decrease. And so for the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at, okay, what does that mean? Uh, we looked at humility. How does it mean to, to really have this humility of Christ? What is, does it mean to really have this forgiveness of Christ? And we've tried to look at how that really applies to our lives. And last week, I hope you see it as kind of the crescendo of the whole series, is this very high calling that he's placed upon our lives when he said that we basically, he said he's called us to die to self every single day. He called us to carry our cross every single day. A couple of weeks ago, Brittany called and uh, we were talking about, uh, in fact, one of the songs that we sang this morning uh, about resurrection power. And she goes, this is what God has impressed upon me, is that, you know, we have to die before we can be resurrected. So I want to steal your thunder or anything, because I know that's probably what you're going to speak about. But I said, uh, would you just come and, and, and for two or three minutes just kind of share your testimony of what this means to you in your life? And so, Brittany, please just uh, uh, lead us this morning while God has placed upon your heart. Thank you. Um. When I first became a Christian, I mistakenly thought that I would only have to die to myself once upon salvation. I thought that once I had repented of my sin and the old man was crucified with Christ and I was raised with him as a new creation, that would be it, that I wouldn't have to die again. But after many years of walking with the Lord, I've learned that, as Pastor Bobby said, it is a daily call that we take up our cross, and that we die to ourselves every day. Um, I've recently been walking through some things with the Lord that have stretched and challenged me in new ways and have forced me to learn just what it means to die to myself on a daily basis. Uh, this morning, we sang a song about having resurrection power in us, and that is so true. We do have the same power of the Holy Spirit, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is living in us. Hallelujah. And that should transform every part of our Christian life. But as Pastor Bobby pointed out, as I was thinking on that and praying on that, the Lord reminded me that before there can be resurrection, there has to be death. And um, I have been crying out for a long time on a daily basis that God would fill me up with more of himself. And he's reminded me that first, I have to be emptied of myself. How many of you know you can't pour into something that's already full? So if we want to be filled with all the fullness of Christ, and I pray that that is all of our prayer. I know it's mine. First, we have to be emptied of ourselves. The problem for me is Philippians 2.13 says that it is God who works in us both to will and to do his good pleasure. So in other words, I can't even want to die to myself without his help. But there's good news. Isaiah 40, 28 through 31 says, Have you not known? Have you not heard? 
The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings like eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. That means that everything that we need can be found in the presence of Jesus. As I've been walking through this very challenging yet amazing season, I've learned the riches and the beauty that are found by deliberately seeking the presence of the Lord each day and waiting upon him as long as it takes. It's required dying to my daily schedule, my time, my priorities, dying to my expectations of who God should be or what he should do, dying to what others think about me, dying to my own way. But I've learned that anything that we lay down pales in comparison to what we find because what we gain is Christ himself. And there's nothing that compares to him. He is the supreme treasure. He is the inheritance and the blessed hope for which we long. And in his presence, that's where our strength is renewed. At the foot of his cross is where we're reminded of his love for us. It is there in his presence where we just simply gaze upon him in adoration and wonder, and we are left at awe to the point that everything else just fades away. It is there where he fashions his righteousness in us and purges us of everything that doesn't please him. In a season where I've been tempted to discouragement when answers haven't come, I've found something so much better in the waiting. I've found the sweetest, deepest, most intimate relationship with my Savior. I heard a pastor compare many Christians to hummingbirds that we fly all over the place until we just give out from exhaustion. But he pointed out that an eagle is different. An eagle simply waits on the wind to blow and effortlessly soars upon it. I wonder if that's why Isaiah compared those who choose to wait upon the Lord with an eagle, patiently waiting upon the Lord until the wind of his spirit blows. For me, it goes beyond just praying or singing or studying his word, which are all important things. Waiting is about seeking his face, his presence, and just lingering there as long as it takes. Being quiet, listening to his voice, and drinking from that river of life that we sang about this morning. I don't know what you all may be facing today, what you may be going through, but I know that whatever it is that you need, It's found in the sweet presence of Jesus as you patiently wait upon him. Just as Mary of Bethany sat at the feet of Jesus and listened to him, and Jesus said she received the good portion, you too will find all of the hope you need, the faith you need, the righteousness you need, the help you need, all of the comfort that you need at the feet of Jesus. It is there where we bow to him and surrender ourselves to his sovereign will. It is there where we are emptied of ourselves and filled instead with his spirit. And it is there where we truly can decrease so that Christ can increase in our lives and affect everyone around us for his glory.
Father, I thank you for the testimony, what you've been doing in Brittany's life, and Father, how that applies to, to each one of us in, in various ways that we're walking right now, Father. And Father, I thank you that, uh, that you make it so real that, yes, we must die before there can be resurrection. So, Father, today as we come to this high calling that you've called us into, Father, we uh, are, are reminded that you have not called us into this work, Father, this following you as a means of salvation, Father. Only you can save through what Christ has done. And yet, Father, discipleship is following you with our life. Father, what a high call. And so, Father, today, give us clarity of mind. Father, let those uh, illustrations that, uh, that Brittany spoke of this morning, Father, Write those upon each one of our hearts and our minds as we try to live out this word and your truth. Father, we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. If you'd open your Bibles to Mark chapter 6, last week we, we ended with a passage from Luke. And, and one of the things that we said about that Luke passage is that it really was not a salvation text. It was a discipleship text. And it's very important for us to understand that. It's so important that I want to kind of review that really quick one more time. We cannot, by any means, earn our salvation. You could die to self. You could physically die in, in some kind of very brave act, even in church or for a Christian purpose, and that would not gain you salvation. It's only through what Christ has done that we have salvation. Nothing that we can do adds even the smallest little bit to the complete work of Christ. And once we understand that that's the means of salvation, how we come into relationship with Christ, now we have this call upon our life. What, what is it that Christ has called upon us? And we see last week, and we'll continue this week, that this profound message of the New Testament is that basically God has called us, as, as you said, to daily die. To really daily die. To take up our cross every single day. This was not just Luke that wrote about this. We see this throughout the Gospels. And I've got some help this morning. Uh, listen to these verses as these young men read these. Who has Matthew 10, 38? Okay, Drew, read that real loud for us. Okay. Whoever doesn't take his cross, Matthew states that. And very you, know, you can't misunderstand what Matthew writes there. What about Matthew 16, 24? Okay, it almost seems like, well, didn't we just hear that? No, we have Matthew repeating that once again, or we see Matthew taking the time to repeat that again. What about Mark eight thirty four? Okay, I get. Is this, are you starting to see a theme there? <laughs> this consistent thing through Matthew, Mark. We saw it in Luke. What about Luke nine twenty three? There's one thing I, I want you to understand about all these passages that we see repeated throughout, not just the Gospels, but through the New Testament. We're going to see Peter and Paul take those and actually apply both some theology to them in Romans, but also actuality in Colossians and Ephesus and different places. They actually say, okay, this is what this looks like when you die to yourself daily, when you take up the cross of Christ daily, and, and you live out this Christian call in your life. This is not poetic language. These guys were not poets to begin with. I mean, Matthew, he's a tax collector. He's not just kind of saying, well, this will sound really poetic and really nice. 
Mark? A really simple guy. Luke? He's a physician. He's kind of thinking more of the you know, black and whiteness of things. He deals with facts. These guys are not writing these words that we take up our cross daily and that we die to self in some kind of poetic way that we can say, well, you know, that's just kind of an illustration. No, it's a call of Jesus Christ. I did a spoiler alert uh, probably, what, seven weeks ago, and I said, guys, you know, when we saw these words of John the Baptist in John 3.30, he must increase, I must decrease. I said, you know, let me go ahead and give you the spoiler alert right up front before we even get to the end of our series. In the end, John dies. (laughs) And today we're going to look at that story. We're going to see that, yes, God may not call every one of us to a physical death, there, you and I may never be called to physically die like John the Baptist. But when he began to say, he must increase and I must decrease, basically he's laying it out there. Okay, God, whatever your call is upon my life, you know, give me the strength to be able to do that. Brittany, that's one thing I really love about your testimony this morning, that, that you point out something that sometimes we forget. Sometimes we think to be a good Christian, we just need to get kind of more faith. No, we just need to, to rest in the faith that God gives us. We would not even have salvation had Christ not shown us our sin and shown us a Savior. It's all about Him, guys. The coming to the Christ and the living for Christ all is through Christ and the very Spirit of God that He's put in us. This isn't just you modifying your morality in such a way that you become kind of a better moral person. Hopefully that is one of the end results of walking with Christ. And we're going to see that later in our sermon. But it, it begins with him, it is him, and it ends with him. And John the Baptist pays this ultimate price. Mark chapter 6. What we see here is, uh, let me give you just a little bit of context. Uh, there's a king, King Herod at the time. And um, uh, he's king. John the Baptist, again, was born and called to prepare the way for Christ. Uh, John's main message. Anybody know in one word what John's main message that he was given to to preach? Repentance. Very good. So he's preaching that. Repentance. To change your mind. And when you change your mind, then you change your direction. To change, to think differently about these things. Well, uh, that's challenging for all of us. It's one thing for God to to lay upon our heart a call to repentance, but has anybody ever come up to you and, and said that you need to repent? When somebody on, on this stratosphere kind of comes up, maybe it's a husband or wife, maybe it's a, a mother or a father, maybe it's a close friend, or maybe it's somebody that you know, just comes in and says, man, you need to change the way you're living. You need to change this in your life. A call to repentance is one of those things that either you receive eagerly and you kind of receive and you're broken about, like King David was when the prophet Nathan said, you're that man, and he immediately was overwhelmed with this repentance. And he kind of breaks down and he says, I've sinned against God and I've sinned against man. But the majority of the time, (laughs) we hear this call to repentance and there's actually kind of a repression of that. Especially if it comes from another person. King Herod hears this message of repentance. And I assume that there's a lot of things in his life that he needed to repent about. But there was one that just really kind of, uh, that John the Baptist spoke to and, and called him out on. And it is that he, um, he, he, he got rid of his wife and he goes to his brother's wife and he decides that he wants to marry her. 
Her name, I, I guess, has changed afterwards, Herod, and now she's Herodias. And John the Baptist just says this is wrong. He, he shines light on this darkened thinking. And Herod doesn't like it, but he's afraid of John the Baptist. He's seen and he's heard some of the things that John the Baptist did. So there's this healthy awe and fear that he has. And he goes, you know, this is not a guy that you really want to tick off. This is not really a guy that you want to get on the wrong side of. His wife, however, Herodias, no bones about it. This guy has embarrassed us. This is not right. He should not be saying that. You know, he's probably not perfect himself. You know, all the kind of rebuttal that you and I normally would have when somebody might point out sin in our lives. This very defensive stance. And so you have King Herod, who's not pleased with the message of repentance, especially as it deals with his own life. Herodias, who's 1,000% against it. That's the background of this. Look what happens. Mark chapter 6, verse 17. For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. Verse 19 and 20. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted him to be put to death, but she could not. Why couldn't she? Look at verse 20. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. Does that last sentence really ring true with your life sometimes? That you hear the word of God and you're greatly perplexed. In other words, sometimes it, it can seem like a heavy thing in our life because it's a word of correction. It's a, a word of direction. And, and we know that we're not going in that direction. So we hear it and we're kind of perplexed. And at the same time we're going, but, but I'm kind of glad that I'm hearing it because it means that God is at least showing me the right way. We can understand where King Herod is, or at least I can having to fight with sin on a daily basis, daily having to die to self and this call to die to self. I I get where he's at. That he was greatly perplexed, but at the same time, he wanted to hear it. He gladly heard it. This is where the story gets very interesting. And the truth that God wants us to to really focus on this morning, there's a lot of different ways that you could kind of preach this out. Uh, But the one that I want to, the avenue I want to tie in is what our theme for this year is and, and where our series has gone. King Herod has a birthday, and he throws this big party and uh, you know, invites all of his soldiers, his business associates, his friends, his family. This is not just a quaint little dinner with a couple of intimacies, uh, you know, getting together for a birthday. This is one of those banner birthdays that he invites all these people. So there's just a lot of people there. There's festivities. I promise you it is the talk of the town. Do you have a ticket to this birthday party or not? Are you part of the elite, this A-list that gets to go? So it's a big deal. And he has this birthday party. And uh, during the party, Herodias' daughter comes out. We think that she's probably about a, a teenager. And by this time, maybe a lot of the guests are pretty much inebriated. And they've been partying and they've been celebrating. And she comes out. And, and I'll simplify it saying that she probably did somewhat of a suggestive dance. That she begins to dance out there, and maybe it was suggestive because they were inebriated. I, I don't know, but this young girl comes out, 
And look what happens in response, verse 21, 22, so that you know that I'm not embellishing this story, but that we're preaching the word of God. Verse 21, verse 22. But an opportunity came when Herod on his birthday gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And so this prompted a response from King Herod. The rest of verse 22, and the king said to the girl, ask me for whatever you wish and I'll give it to you. He's a king. He's rich. That's like Bill Gates. That's like somebody coming up to us and saying, you know, says, man, I'm really proud of you. I just really like you. Ask me whatever you want and it's yours. Up to half of my kingdom, just whatever you want. I mean, this is not somebody that, you know, is sitting there with two mites rubbed together and say, okay, you want one of the mites? You know, one of these pennies, I've got two pennies, you want one of the pennies? This is a guy that has deep pockets. And he responds to this dance that she does and says, I'll give you anything you want, up to half of my kingdom. Now look what happens. Maybe it was the wine talking, maybe it was the cheers of a rowdy crowd, maybe it was the associates that were there, whatever. He gives this, and so she goes away and she begins to think. She's a teenager. More than likely. So she goes to her mom. Mom, guess what? King Herod has offered me up to half the kingdom. He said, whatever I want, I can have. What should I ask for? Verse 24, guys. You know, I often say there's sad verses in the Bible and very glad verses in the Bible. This is one of the saddest verses in the Bible for so many reasons. Look at verse 24. She went out and said to her mother, for what should I ask? And she said, the head of John the Baptist. So sad on so many levels. You, you go to your mom for wise counsel. And the mom, we're not claiming that she is Christian in any way, Christ-like. And she lets down this daughter so much. Number one, she takes up the offense that she has, her own sin, and she kind of carries it on to the next generation. She lets her own sense of revenge kind of drive. Hey, have I open opportunity to have whatever you want? I've got something that you should put at the top of that list. The head of John the Baptist. He's just this evil enemy that just will not quit, quit telling the truth about my situation. Now before we read the rest of this passage, I want to, to ponder in this place. John has God's call upon his life. He fulfills it by preaching repentance, even to a king. He doesn't quiet down just because there's influence that could actually damage him physically in some way. And it's this very call that now leads him to a place of death. Please understand that John died to self many, many times before he had to die in a physical way. He's about to die. We're going to read on just a second. And, and what you think is going to happen in the story, if you're not familiar with it, does happen. But I want you to know, don't be in awe of John the Baptist because of a physical death. Be in awe of John the Baptist and that he died daily, day after day after day after day, to lead to this point. Do you understand that? Brittany, I, I so associate that sometimes we think that, you know, death, this dying itself, is that one moment in time. 
And it is when we come, because basically when we repent of our own sins, we're saying that we're not trusting ourselves and our own goodness anymore. We repent, we change our mind, and now we're trusting the work of Christ and Christ alone as the means of being right with the Holy God. So in one way, we do have to kind of come to die in the self in that one moment. And yet, that just begins the story. It doesn't end the story. I've often said, and you've probably heard me say it many times, I really do believe that it is easier to die for Christ, a physical death, than it is to live for Christ on a regular basis. To die for Christ means that maybe I had this one heroic moment, this one second, somebody comes in, and they say, well, you died for Christ this morning. I only have to have one heroic moment. This call to discipleship, to take up your cross daily? Folks, you have to have heroic moments day after day after day after day. But you're not the hero. It's Christ in you that's the hero. I mean, which one is really harder? I mean, none of us hopefully have a death wish. None of us really want to, to really know what would we decision we would make. You know, we hear stories about uh, going all the way back to Columbine, the, the high school shooting, and, and how these, this girl was put there, and if she claimed Christ, she would die. And, and we see that story. Some have claimed that it's true. Some said that it wasn't. But if something like that happened in your life and our life, it takes one moment of courage at that point. One moment of faith. And yet when you go to work tomorrow, when you go to school tomorrow, when you go to your family today, and you have to put pride aside, you have to put self aside, you have to put all these different things, worldly passions aside, a daily death, to me, is kind of harder. And he calls for us to do it day after day after day. I shared with you last week that uh, I really didn't want to preach. I didn't go into great detail, and I'm not going to go into great detail today, but I, I was sharing with somebody afterwards, and, and it, it was kind of... St- it's kind of strange because they said, that's all you did? <laughs> I had an opportunity last week within some family squabbles that were going on to, to, to extend the, the gospel of forgiveness. Somebody had wronged Carly and I, and uh, Carly was the champ. She, she pursued the gospel, made peace. I didn't say anything. They said, well, you didn't yell? You didn't cuss? You didn't? I said, that's just not me. I withdrew, guys. I withdrew. When they were in one room, I was in another room. Well, why that's that so bad? We know the gospel. We live for the gospel. We are to be the followers of Christ. And so when there's opportunity to extend forgiveness, I made a choice that day. I've since re- rectified it and remedied it. Do I want to be right or do I want the gospel? And what defeated me that day, guys, is I, I wanted to be right. For those... That three hours, I wanted to be right. I wanted to stand in the rightness. And if I explain the situation to you, I I promise you, every one of us would say, well, you were right. (laughs) And yet, this call is to die to self. I mean, isn't that Philippians chapter 2? The most right person ever. The only right person ever. Humbles himself and he empties himself. And he goes and he dies for us. This is the gospel. This is this glad calling upon our life, guys. It's not just acts of commission. It's the acts of omission. When we have opportunity to just 
share the gospel of what Christ has done for us. And we withdraw it because we want to be right for the moment. We want to be pride for the moment. We want to do whatever. This is sin. This is rebellion. And this is not death of self. Thank God for His grace that He gave me the sunshine of the next morning. That He gave me breath so that we could rectify and remedy that. Thank God when, when we do have those moments in our lives that we have just let down the gospel in our lives, that he gives us the next day as an opportunity to go and embrace and love and to live out the gospel. What is harder, a physical death or all these daily deaths to die to self and to live for Christ? Don't admire John the Baptist because he gets his head chopped off. I would say admire John the Baptist because it's one of the first pictures that we see of somebody who truly is following hard after Christ, no matter the cost. Mark 6, 23. And she came in immediately with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. Little girl meets with dad, I mean with mom, comes back, takes up her offense, okay, here's what I want. I want John the Baptist. I want his head on a platter. Yeah, like a typical teenage girl would say that. This is coming straight from the mom. Verse 26, And the king was exceedingly sorry because of his oaths and his guests. He did not want to break his word to her. He said, I've said this. I don't really want to do this. Why? Because he's afraid of John the Baptist. He does, in all of his sin, he does have a sense of, man, you don't mess with the prophets of God. Don't be messing with those guys. And yet, he's got a choice. Do I let pride in what I've said? And I've said it before all these people. And if I go back on my word, then it's going to look like I'm not so kingly. So he decides and he caves. And he says, my reputation is worth more to me in this moment. Verse 27, 28. And immediately the king said in the executioner, with orders to bring John's head, he went and beheaded him in the prison, and he brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl, and the girl gave it to her mother. It's an amazing story. But don't be in awe of John the Baptist because he lays down his life for his king. Be in awe of any disciple that day after day after day has such a passion for Christ, and the, and the Spirit fills him in such a way that, that he's able to do that. Be, be, again, ultimately, we're always in awe of just Christ. Don't get me wrong. But what I really admire about other Christians when I see in their life is just, man, they just had to die for that. You know, they had to, they had to really kind of suck it up there and, and, and kind of put pride aside or put feelings aside or this aside because the call of Christ was so dramatic in their life. That's when I stand back and I get encouraged as another believer. See that. When I see this in John's life, it's not just, okay, he was willing to die for Christ. No, he was willing to live all those days that led up to his death. This is what we see reflected then in the New Testament. Paul, Peter, John, and their other writings. We begin to see this mindset of what does it really look like to die to self? To, to take up your cross daily. 
And instead of giving us a list of just uh, a thousand things we can do, they kind of sum it up in, in a couple different verses. I'm just going to read two of them. There's many more of how they bring this into action. But this is what uh, Paul said to a church, the church of Colossae, where we call them the Colossians. Listen to what he said in Colossians 3.5. 3, 3, Put to but to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. He, he could have went on and named a lot of other things. He said, there's a part of you that, Brittany, you said this old man, you know, this old nature. And we still carry this old nature around. It's the Romans 7 part before we feast upon Romans 8. And Paul calls, as he writes to the Colossians, he says, okay, put that to death. But realize it's going to have to be a daily death. How many of you have figured out, you've walked with Christ long enough to know that not only do you have to kind of carry the cross every day, but you have to put yourself to death every day. You know, that in one way it looks kind of synonymous with that, but that there really is putting death to things in your life. Have you figured that out yet? That to really walk supremely with Christ? He said, there's a part of you. How many of y'all have conquered pride? How many of you have conquered forgiveness? Conquered even your thought life? Man, it's a challenge. And, and from what I understand, it's going to be a challenge until I take my last breath. And, and people say, you know, what's going to make heaven so glorious? Well, number one, and by far number one, we get God. But number two, there is no frustration of sin. Why is there no crying, no pain? Because sin is no more for the believer. There's not this tug of war going on. Now we just rest in the presence of the Holy One. We get moments of rest now. We will have eternity of rest then. And it will be the rest that we talked about four weeks ago. Rest to the very soul. Because we will be at rest with the Holy God. Paul said that to the the Colossians, look what he wrote to the Ephesians in the Galatians 5.24. He says, those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. This is not a modification of your moral agenda. Certainly, you should be making better moral choices. But Christianity isn't, hey, I used to do these four things wrong, and now I only do two things wrong. No, it's putting to death this rebellious heart that wants to do wrong. And more and more... Just saying, God, will you fill me with your spirit? Will you fill me more and more with the mind of Christ? Will you fill me more and more with the ability to have Christ living in me? Literally, more of Christ and less of me. For the last eight weeks, that's, that's been kind of our theme. This year, we'll, we'll attempt to live that out. But it does come with an initial crucifixion, and that was of Christ, and a resurrection of Christ that allowed us to even have the opportunity then to crucify, to go through a crucifixion of our own self and our trust in self and put our trust solely in the work of Christ. But Brittany, as you so aptly said, if that was it, that, that's the salvation part. But this whole discipleship part, this whole sanctification part, not just the justification part, this whole sanctification, daily. 
taking up the cross of Christ. Let me end with this. Galatians 2.20 I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This, this, this is our marching orders. This is our invitation. This is our banner that we now go, that, I, that we are crucified in Christ because of God's great gift to us of his Son. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we love you. And Father, we pray that uh, today that we would understand the fullness of what it means to be crucified with Christ. Father, certainly it has a theological nature, Father, that Paul expands on greatly in Romans. And yet, Father, we see that it also has a very practical way that you and that, that we would live our, our lives that you have called us to, Father. And so, Father, as we sing this last song, as we come to you in prayer, as we come to you, Father, just wanting to be not just worshipers, but followers of you. Father, we pray that we would have impacted upon our mind and our heart today. What does it look like in our personal life to be crucified in Christ? What does it look like that we would no longer live, but that you would live within us? We love you, Father. We wouldn't even be able to mention the first word of this sermon had you not given us the grace gift of your Son, his death and his resurrection. Father, has opened up now this opportunity for us to be able to follow to die to self and to live in this great freedom of being a Christian, a son and daughter of the living God. And we praise you and we thank you for it as we sing our song to you this day, Father. For it's in his name that we pray. for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.